Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, no relationship to Kim Jong-un. I'm a left-wing pundit and a writer at The Atlantic and Vogue. And I'm Andy Levy, former Fox News and CNN HLN guy and current cable news conscientious objector. And I'm producer Jesse Cannon, and I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. We're here to have fun, smart conversations with the wisest and funniest people in science and media and politics that help make what's happening today clearer. Our world has been turned upside down, and on The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and how we'll hopefully get ourselves out of it. Hello, and welcome to another Sunday edition of The New Abnormal. We thank you so much for being here. Today, we have an extra special guest with Ali Vitali, who's, of course, the Capitol Hill correspondent for NBC News. And she's here to talk to us about her new book, Electable, Why America Hasn't Put a Woman in the White House Yet. But first, let's have some fun. Are you guys ready to listen to some clips? Yes. No. Yes. Okay. Yes, you yes. are, Molly. Yes. You guys may be familiar with a Texas representative named Dan Crenshaw, kind of a contrarian bad take machine. Love him. Are we ready for some Crenshaw? I mean, <laughs> Is anyone okay. ever ready for Dan Crenshaw? No. And look, again, why not just ask him? Why not just ask did him? They, it, I thought they'd been negotiating and I, trying to get the information from him. And, 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 and he, he cooperated. But he didn't turn over boxes and boxes of material as far as the Justice Department says. But, but he's been cooperating. And, he, and, and I think he's on the record saying, whatever you need from us, just ask. It's great to see you guys. I mean, it was a very friendly environment. But his lawyer said There's they didn't no have reason. any more classified information. And the Justice Department said, yes, you do. And they went and got it. Got it. And the only reason we know about the raid was because Donald Trump announced it. Right. Well, I think we would have figured it out if, even if he hadn't. But look, yes, the lawyers, lawyers did sign that document. They have nothing left. Now, that's either a huge mistake on part of the lawyers, um, but even if, it, even if it was nefarious, again, why not say, hey, we don't believe you. Now let us come back and let's go through these boxes again. There's tons of boxes here. I mean, do, we, do, do any of us really believe that Donald Trump is like reading his nuclear secrets on his bedside at night? Like, I, I, you know, there's an intent question here. No, there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why there's no intent question at all. It doesn't matter. You, if you take classified documents, it doesn't matter what you intend to do with them. You can't do that. What the hell, man? Like, he so clearly knows that this is fucked and is just trying his best to spin it like it's not that big a deal. But he knows. I mean, he's a former military guy. He knows you don't just take classified documents to your hotel. But I'm telling you, my favorite part, though, is like <laughs> the defenses go from like they overreacted to like Trump is so stupid. Right. I want to point out the idea that Trump is too dumb to crime is like a trope in this whole administration. And remember, fucking Don Jr. <laughs> yes, was too dumb to crime because of of the, you know, the Trump Tower meeting. Well, did he really know it was treason? I mean, you guys give these this guy so much fucking benefit of the doubt. Like, 
people are giving this family a whole lot of fucking benefit of the doubt. For a family that's too dumb to crime, they've been criming for like 40 fucking years. <laughs> it's true. Right, I know like, it's Consistently. True. <laughs> I have an alternate theory as usual. Oh, yeah, let's go. So, you know, everybody keeps being like, he's not reading uh, top secret documents at bedside. And I'm like, you know what I think it is? naked Kim Jong-un pictures because that's what he really wants. God, Jesse, come on. Come on. As someone who is a big Kim Uh, Jong-un person in my own way. that about Molly's cousin. It's true. It's true. Uh, Okay, so as we know, Crenshaw couldn't turn his back on Mr. Trump because then you pay the price of losing your place. We have follow-up this week where Mr. Alex Jones, who had turned his back on Trump, well... He's reconsidering. So this is my emergency message to you, Mr. President, to go and actually watch the first 30 minutes of Thursday's show. We'll put a link to it below here so you can see what I said in context. The corporate media edited down a 30-second clip to make it sound like that I'm only for DeSantis and that I've abandoned you. That's not true. It's the contrary. I understand you're under attack. I understand you are surrounded, and I'm trying to get you to reassess the situation. I know people like Don are telling you that you need to reassess the situation. The idea that he thinks that Donald Trump is going to go back and listen (laughs) to 30 minutes of his show, (laughs) that's just hilarious. Listen, man, it's nice that someone still, like, loves Trump. I mean, I guess— But also, can we talk about, like, what world is it where it matters to a Republican candidate that Alex Jones likes them as opposed (laughs) to the other way around? (laughs) Like, they should not want Alex Jones to like them. That should be a bad thing. Have you have you (laughs) seen the base of the GOP? No, I know. It's just it's just amazing that that's where we are now, where it's like they're they want his they want his support as opposed to. Not wanting his support, you know, like it used to be like David Duke would say something and the candidate would have to be like, well, I I, I don't want his support, which was a lie, but at least they would have to say it. Now it's just, you know, it's just a fight to get Alex Jones's support. Just God help us all. Not good. Uh, Well, not good. I've before also some follow up. Posed my hypothesis that Tucker Carlson is Alex Jones in a fat suit. Um, I think I have more proof here in this next clip. Amos has completely um, eliminated eliminated any risk coming from um, the international or domestic politics of the Biden administration, and you know they're coming after him for it. Maybe if he promises to put more chemicals in the milk that turn kids trans, they'll lay off. Did any of the federal marshals decline to raid an Amish organic farm on principle, or did they all just go along with this? Do you th- no. All I know is that um, many federal agents did not um, decline to go and did go along with it and raided the farm and took inventory of Amos's um, farm to make sure that he doesn't sell or produce any more meat. You know, I'm, we're for law enforcement, broadly speaking, but there's such a thing as conscience. <laughs> like at the end where he's like, we're, we're for law enforcement. I mean, except when they go after our people yeah. for milk. What? <laughs> Look, this is the first time hearing about the government putting chemicals in the milk to turn kids trans. So I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to do my own research on this. Yeah, <laughs> you get on Google, right? now. You yes. get on that Facebook. The, the, and when you're there... Find out about the genocide in Myanmar. 
This is phase two after, since they already turned all the frogs gay, of course. Right, exactly right. The frogs were just the beginning. We tried to tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <sighs> oh, my God. There's no bottom. No bottom. The most watched show on cable news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, more bad news for that party. The guy that everybody has their hopes for, for if Mr. Trump's arteries are have a coup staged against them by the colonel at KFC, is Ron DeSantis. And he has some terrible takes to give us that we're going to close out the show with. You have people like Fauci saying that his lockdowns didn't cause any permanent damage to any young kids. I got news for you, it did, and we are going to reap those rewards across the whole country for years and years and years because they treated kids so poorly. And I'm just sick of seeing him. I know he says he's going to retire. Someone needs to grab that little elf and chuck him across the Potomac. It's a lot of applause. Yeah. Man, whatever. He's like he's like the poor man's Donald Trump. He's like the bizarro Donald Trump. He's Donald Trump without whatever it is that makes Donald Trump appealing. And I mean appealing in quotes. No, I think that's exactly right. And I have to take back something I said on the pod a week or so ago where I, I said I thought the danger of DeSantis is that he's a little smarter than Trump <laughs> and and wouldn't make, you know, wouldn't go there the way Trump does. And clearly I was completely wrong about that. And he has decided to go full Trump. And you're absolutely right, Molly. The problem is that, you know, Trump is, again, not to me and I not to you anymore, Molly. I think you've, you've, you've yes, turned I've your back on Trump Yes, I finally turned now, my think, back yes. on him. I finally rejected him. Thank God After all those years happened. of, yeah, just being so respectful towards his criming. Trump has that sort of weird charisma that- Right, that some people like. Yeah. DeSantis has none of that. And it's just, DeSantis just sounds like an asshole. He just sounds like a mean asshole. Whereas Trump sort of, you know, he says that he is a mean asshole and he, but, but he somehow, when he says these things, there's something kind of a little funny in the way he phrases it or the way he does, whatever. It just, it takes a little bit of the edge off it just rhetorically, even though the concept is the same, but DeSantis just doesn't have that. And I don't know that this is going to work for him, like this whole idea of going full Trump. I, I don't think that's going to work for him, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's worth a shot. As long as it ruins it. As long as it <laughs> ruins him, I, yeah. I'll be happy to see it. Yeah, sure. Uh, to, to your point, between the Top Gun thing this week. Oh, oh yeah, God. that was amazing. I wish we could play, but it's a visual gag. Oh. It's just DeSantis dressed up like uh, like the world's least successful Democratic candidate. Yes. <laughs> yes. Kitty Dukakis's husband. Yes. <laughs> Olympia uh, Dukakis's cousin. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Tr- truly bad political instincts going on here. I do love Olympia Dukakis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I, I do have bad news, though. His uh, streak of doing bad things this week that are pathetic, uh, they didn't end there. There's an, another clip to hear. At the end of the day, we're not going to let this state be overrun by woke ideology. We will fight the woke in the businesses. We will fight the woke in government agencies. We will fight the woke in our schools. We will never, ever surrender to the woke agenda, Florida is the state where woke goes to die. 
We've accomplished an awful lot in Florida, more than anybody thought was possible. <laughs> I mean, You're a state filled with elderly people, and woke is going to be the person who's going to die. I mean, I'm going to die. I was like, it's a state where most people's grandparents go to die. Is he trying, like, is he consciously trying to to do the Winston Churchill thing there? I couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. No, no, I think you, you, you are right. Yeah. That that's some of his phrasing is that he thinks that, like, uh, culture warring with statesmanship is his ticket to the top. But, like, the idea of comparing John Churchill's speech about the Nazis coming into Britain with people who want black people to be treated like human beings. It's like, oh, my God, are you out your fucking mind? I mean, my God, he sucks. Wow. Yeah. No, he's a piece of shit. But uh, (laughs) delightfully orange. Uh, You you know, I I forgot to mention when we were doing the Fauci thing, though, is that he's only two inches taller than Fauci. So he's only whatever stage is above elephant height. Right. Uh, I, but you, you want to know what that cl- listening to that clip sounded like to me? It sounded like the most annoying song on earth, "Baby Shark," but just with the word "woke" instead. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's their that's their mantra. They just repeat "woke" over and over again and call everything "woke" that they've decided they don't like. And it's just it's so dumb. It's just so dumb. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off of my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience, and it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries, and it can make you be a better version of yourself. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash the new abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash the new abnormal. 
Ali Vitali is a Capitol Hill correspondent for NBC News, as well as the author of Electable, Why America Hasn't Put a Woman in the White House Yet. Welcome to the New Abnormal, Ali Vitali. Why did you write this book? Tell us everything. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with you guys. I wrote it in part because we came out of the 2020 election cycle with more women running than ever before. It felt like if you looked at the polls and you looked at the data, that maybe the U.S. was ready to do what they did in 2016 again and elevate a woman to the top of the Democratic Party and then go a step further and elect her president. But ultimately, we all saw what happened. And this book was sort of born out of the coverage of Senator Warren dropping out of the race. And that feeling, that creeping feeling from after 2016 coming back again of why is this so elusive? Why is this so hard? Yeah, why is it so hard? I mean, the short answer, and it would have been a much shorter book, is misogyny. But the longer answer is that just structurally, running for president is an executive role that we still associate so many male and masculine characteristics with. And so women in real time are not just running presidential campaigns, which are really hard to run in the first place. But on top of that, they are asking voters not just to envision them in the White House, but to envision something that they have literally never seen before. And in 2020, you remember this. Only the only thing that Democratic voters really, really all agreed on was they desperately needed to beat Donald Trump and they didn't want any risk associated with that. And they just didn't want to take a risk with someone who they hadn't seen in that role before. And certainly Joe Biden was not a risk. Yeah, I'm like obsessed with this idea. Why are people so hard on the Veep? Mm, well, you and you and I have talked about this. Like you, you're, you either just wrote or are writing a, a piece yeah. about this. And, yeah. and I think that you're allowed, right? Like I'm a reporter first and I will always believe that our public officials need to be scrutinized and held to account. And you can do that whether they are male or female, black, white, otherwise, it doesn't matter. But the ways that we scrutinize them are different if they are non-white and non-male. And in the case of Kamala Harris, I think part of the reason why people are so frustrated with her is because they seemingly expected her to recreate the role of vice president that has been around for hundreds of years simply because she doesn't look like everyone else who has held that role. And that is just a fundamentally unfair expectation. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. The kind of hostility towards her from the pundit class, I have been really shocked by. Well, because it's palpable. Everything she does is the sign of like the worst gaffe ever. And I think the thing that I heard time and again when I was talking to people for this book, yes, she has gotten media training since being in the White House. Is that rare or a little bit odd? Yes. But at the same time, just because she's getting media training doesn't take away from the fact, and many people have pointed this out to me, that she is the vice president to a man who was literally known for his gaffes <laughs> during right. the 2020 right. campaign. That is something that everyone in his orbit would talk about. They were nervous about him talking to the press because they just weren't sure what he was going to say. So for Kamala Harris to be criticized, I think in some cases, rightly, for not having a ready-to-go answer, for example, in an interview with Lester Holt about why she hadn't been to the border yet, there was an answer that I wasn't sure why she wasn't giving the answer of, I was a California lawmaker for a decade plus. I've been in these issues at the center of these issues. I wasn't sure why that wasn't the answer she was giving. But at the same time, like other vice presidents have had snafus in interviews and it wasn't a sign of, oh, well, they they can't govern. And I think with Kamala Harris, that's the thing is like we're looking at a media strategy, which I do think is important. If you want to be president, you got to run through the media. But it's not a sign that like she would be a bad president. It's not like a review of her governance abilities. And somehow people are acting like it is. Well, one of the things I was most surprised by was like the president of Mexico loves her. 
and yeah. has been like her great champion. Her job was to go down and try to fix something, the southern border, which is completely unfixable because Republicans love to use it for one thing. And immigration is such a problem because no one wants it fixed, ultimately. Well, it's an intractable issue. How many years have we been talking about comprehensive immigration reform and how many times has it gotten done? Right. But and so it's so interesting to me that here she is uh, being you know, actually doing what she's supposed to do here, which is work stuff out with Mexico as best she can. And nobody's even talking about it. Well, and especially because the rollout of her and the border kind of missed what her actual assignment was, which is like her assignment wasn't like fix immigration. Her assignment was the root causes of immigration. Doing diplomacy on the foreign stage with these countries in South America, it wasn't like, let me fix every crisis on the border. That's a homeland security issue, actually, along with the White House. So I think fundamentally her role kind of got messed up. But there are many in the Biden orbit who would say, A, Biden did this job as vice president. It was a part of his portfolio under Obama. And B, he didn't complain when he got it. So there is a little bit of that going on here, too. Right. For sure. That's definitely something that's also going on. But the interesting thing to me is like vice president has been a job that it's the world's most important job that nobody knows what it's supposed to be. Well, because nobody knows how to grade it. And I write about this in the book. Like we know how you judge a president, right? You judge it in on the foreign stage. You judge it in terms of domestic policy agenda items that have been notched. And certainly Biden's had several over the course of the last year, despite the fact that there have been also moments of Democrats sort of in disarray on how to get them done. But broadly, like we know how to grade a president. It's a lot harder to grade a vice president because if they're doing their job correctly, you're probably not seeing or hearing from them too much. And in the case of Kamala Harris, I was struck by the fact that when you look at her unfavorable ratings and they really did start dipping and eclipsing her favorability ratings during the whole border crisis moment in the summer of 2021. That was a real inflection point for her. The numbers haven't recovered, but if you compare where she was in June of 2021, when I last checked before I could put this book to the printer, her numbers are lower than almost all of her counterparts. So Cheney, Biden, Pence. I saw the numbers were actually not that much lower than other counterparts. The aggregate, though. Oh, okay. No, she's definitely being judged on a completely different scale. That is for sure true. But yes, I think that's right. You know, what's also funny is like everyone knew Mike Pence wanted to run for president, but no one was foot tapping him during the four years that he was number two to Trump saying, well, why isn't he making it more apparent that he wants to be president? It seems (laughs) like right now with Kamala Harris, despite the fact that we all know that she will likely run for president again, Everyone seems very impatient about the fact that she's like not being overt about that, which like yeah. kind of hard to be overt about that when the guy who is the president right now says he wants to still be the president. She gets criticism for everything. She gets criticism for having people who defend her online. Like that's somehow her fault. I actually think it's good. Good for her. Like that's something Democrats should be doing. Like, I, I mean, I just feel like she gets criticism for everything in a way that male politicians just don't. And it reminds me a lot of other female politicians. Talk to me about female politicians who are, I mean, who do you see who, where you're like, this person is bucking the trend? I think there's people on both sides who are doing that. I'm pretty fascinated by Liz Cheney right now. I think a lot of us are in Washington just because she is, I think, embodying of a larger thing that's happening in Republican politics right now, which is the people leading the accountability movement against Trump are by and large 
women and predominantly women. I mean, it's Cheney, of course, because she's front and center with the January 6th committee, but it's also the women from the Trump administration who have testified in front of that committee, who have faced great amount of threats because of the fact that they did that. And then also when you look at the actual legal accountability game, got Tish James in New York, in Fulton County, you also have the female DA there. I mean, there are women at every rung of this, elected or not, who are trying to hold Trump accountable and keep accountable small d democracy. And I think that's pretty fascinating, especially the way that conservative politics tends to put gender and identity in the back seat. And then also in the Democratic Party, I think you have women. I mean, the fact that Kamala Harris exists in the vice presidency is a clear sign of progress. She's closer to the Oval Office than any woman has been before. Ever. And most of the people that I talked to in this book, Republican and Democrat alike say, that is good for every woman who aspires to this office because it helps that imagination game that they're asking the public to play. You now see a woman closer than ever to the Oval. Yeah, I mean, no, I agree. And that is like, it's funny because it's like we're really seeing the march of progress, you know, the backwards and the forwards. Except, and this is a concept that I toy with, that at the end of the day, Kamala Harris was elevated to that role, not elected in her own right. And that is still the hurdle that has yet to be jumped over. Yeah, no, I know. But Nancy Pelosi was elected. In her, well, she was sort of elected in her own right. Nancy Pelosi is emblematic of the way that many women in other countries have risen to executive roles. I mean, if we, the United States, were a parliamentary system, then we would have President Nancy Pelosi if everything right. was equivalent. So it does matter the system of government. And that is one of the things that I think is a barrier to the U.S. not yet hitting this milestone is the fact that the way we elect our elected officials and the way that we elect our president is a system that is not necessarily favorable to female candidates. And I'm not arguing that we change a system to be favorable to one type of candidate over another, but it's a system that is tilted against non-white and and non-male candidates. And I think that when you look at each rung of it, both from fundraising and candidate recruitment and just how parties have taken a while to fill the pipeline with viable candidates, it all sort of amounts in, okay, this is why we haven't had a female president yet. Yeah. Is there a way for women to sort of game the system? I don't know if it's gaming the system, but I think it's to continue running, which I know sounds like a quaint answer, but the earlier that these women are starting their careers, and we're seeing this over the course of the last few decades, part of why you had so many presidential primaries where there just weren't any female candidates is because women weren't running and starting their political careers at an early enough point that by the time they got to the age to run for president, they had a sufficient resume to do so. At least now, I actually think we're done with the days of seeing no women be able to viably run in presidential primaries. And the reason I focus so much on primaries in the book is because that's when the gender biases are the most at play. When you get to a general election, and you know this, of course, is once you're in a general If you're a Democrat, you're voting for the Democrat. If you're a Republican, you're voting for the Republican. Like no one is sitting there saying, well, I'm just, I'm only voting on gender. By and large, the trend lines show you that it's party ideology that guides you in a general election. So it's where the primaries are that if you invest in and support female candidates and then they get to a general, when they run, they win at the same rate as white male candidates do. We've seen that borne out time and again. So the primary system is really like this swirling pot of all of these intangible biases. And that's why I focus on it in the 2020 primary so much. That's super interesting. Do you think open primary solves any of that? I mean, I just spent some time in Alaska where they're doing the ranked choice voting system for the first time. And I, I hear the, oh God, but 
experts have said that it's a system No, I that, like it. I mean, except oh, okay. I come from New York and we have the world's worst <laughs> mayor again. So I don't know how that worked out for us. <laughs> the thinking on the part of experts that I talked to about ranked choice voting is that it's a system that women can do well in, in part, because when you think about the qualities that voters by and large assign to female candidates, it's building community, but like when you think about the words that voters assign to female candidates, they're words like collegial and communal. They're inherently sexist. Well, they are, but they also work in a ranked choice voting system where oh, if yeah. you are a firebrand who is lashing out at every single one of your opponents, the voters who like your opponents are probably not going to want to put you second. So there's right. a strategy to ranked choice voting that actually benefits female candidates. Now, the asterisk there, of course, is that if you're looking in the case of Alaska, like Sarah Palin is not a collegial person in terms of the way that she politics really? necessarily. So that might fly in the face of that system, but like it might work for someone like Lisa Murkowski. So that's kind of an interesting way to toy what, with it. Can you explain to me what's happening now with that? When does it happen? Okay. So Murkowski is like pretty much done the primary. We know she made it to the top four. Now we just have to wait for November. And that's going to okay. take a little while because A, Tons of vote by mail in Alaska, huge state. Um, right. They were joking about the qu the quaint, cute size of Texas when I was there, and I love that. Right. And then the other piece of this is that ranked choice voting obviously just takes a little bit of time. Like as a New York voter, you know, yeah. the thing we're yeah. waiting for is the Palin race for House, which I mean, we're a week out, and it tracks that we're still waiting, but it's no less frustrating. I love results instantly. So she's gonna win, though, right? She could. Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know. I also have I also have a theory where like if things shake out in a certain way, then maybe the Democrat Mary Peltola there wins. And then we wow. do this race all over again in two months anyway. So Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> that is just haunting. I'm not um, going back to Alaska in November, though. <laughs> yeah. Wait, how did you even get what I don't even want to know? It, I mean, <laughs> you flew there, right? But of course. Yeah, yeah. So it was a really long walk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What other pieces of wisdom do you have from writing this book? I think the biggest takeaway that I had from 2020 was, although there was heartbreak from a lot of voters that I talked to about not getting a female nominee and then not getting a female president, I think that I prefer to look at the one step forward instead of the two steps back, which is that when Joe Biden picked Kamala Harris as his vice presidential nominee, it was not new in that we had seen both parties pick female vice presidential contenders in the past, obviously 2008 with Sarah Palin, 1984 with Geraldine Ferraro. That sample size is way too small, but nevertheless, yeah. Kamala Harris was not first in that respect. But she was interesting and fascinating and a sign of progress because when Biden picked her, he did it because her gender and her diversity was an asset and a power move. Right. It was something that was so obvious within democratic politics that he needed to politically do something like this to win, to be victorious. Unlike with Mondale and Palin and Ferraro and unlike with McCain and with point. Mondale when yeah. they made their picks, which is they were just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, trying to energize their bases in whatever way they could. And they were like, oh, well, a woman would be novel and new. In Biden's case, it was like, okay, a woman would be historic. And also she is an asset for this moment. That's a huge sign of progress. Thank you so much, Ali Vitali. This was great. Absolutely, you guys. I'm so happy to do it. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.